Hello, welcome to the Healthy Alternatives podcast. I am Dr. Christine Sauer with DocChristine.com. Today's show is a recording of my radio show of the same name. Enjoy! Good afternoon, this is Dr. Christine Sauer, your host of the show Healthy Alternatives here on 97.5 CIOE FM with live stream on communityradio.ca every Thursday at 12 noon Atlantic Standard Time. Thanks for tuning in today. In this show, I will talk mostly with guests about all aspects of health, healthcare and wellness, from conventional to alternative and everything in between. My mission for this radio show is to help change people's lives for the better by informing them about different options to get and stay healthy and well so they can choose for themselves which option might work in their case. And if you feel you are stuck in a dark place, I want to tell you, don't give up. There is a light at the end of the tunnel for you too. So today I'm extremely pleased to be with Rich Bontrager. Rich is a businessman, speaker and a human being that actually went through a liver transplant and triumphed over the circumstances. Welcome very to the show, Rich. Thank you, Christine. Really great to be on the show with you. Thank you. Yeah, now tell me a little bit about yourself. How did you become the person you are today and what happened? Wow, that's a long story. Uh, no, <laughs> we have thirteen um, minutes in the first half and the same in the second. <laughs> no, um, really, uh, I've uh, just going off what you said about your opening about don't give up. Yeah. Um, that's been my life battle cry, if you would. Um, defying the odds. Uh, I was born with something called CMV, cytomegalic inclusion disease, mm -hmm. uh, and I was and I was supposed to die. Right at birth, uh, the doctors told my parents I would die, and here I am, 53 years later, still alive uh, and very much enjoying life. So uh, my my whole life has been about obstacles, overcoming, uh, and always finding the uh, the upside to life. So uh, there's an inner strength, there's a belief uh, that life is better, uh, and that's that's really kind of a brief nutshell of how I view life and how I've lived life. I absolutely love that. And I've come to see the life the same way. And uh, I was lucky I was born in a good family and raised uh, with supposedly good parents. And my adversity didn't come to later in life. But tell us a little bit about how it was for you growing up with that disease over you that sometimes can affect the brain, as I know. And uh, how did you overcome your problems? Well, some of the side effects uh, from that, first of all, was I'm deaf in my left ear. Mm -hmm. uh, it has never worked. Uh, my eyes don't quite work in concert with each other. Uh, and I did have eye surgery at age five, and the eyes uh, never really work properly. Uh, most days are great, but once in a while my left eye will waver, and you don't know where I'm looking, uh, mm -hmm. even though I'm looking at you. Mm -hmm. um, I also have a stutter. Uh, we don't know if that's genetic part of the CMV or if that's just... Uh, me being a young child with a mother that stuttered, and I kind of picked it up from her, um, that has mostly gone away. It's still there. Um, and so those are some of the immediate side effects from CMV. Um, a lot of it was just learning to believe in myself and have loving parents. Like you mentioned, mm. my family was very supportive. 
Um, and they let me know that I, I wasn't the oddball, uh, even though I was teased heavily because of my stutter and my eyes. Um, they actually loved on me and helped me, encouraged me to know that despite what was called disability, I was not disabled. And I never believed I was disabled. I absolutely love that. So how did you overcome those obstacles instead of falling like many do in the victim's role and giving up? What made the change? What made the difference for you? Well, partly it was my faith. Uh, I have a very strong faith, and that's an inner part of my daily walk and belief. Um, but also just uh, a lot of learning tricks that I had to learn. Um, when I know my eyes are not looking at you and I see you making funny faces, uh, I actually admit it. And I actually say, hey, I'm sorry, that's my eyes. I'm, I really am looking at you. And instead of ignoring it, I actually embrace it. Um, I found the more I did that, even with my stutter, if I admit that I'm stuttering and the words are not coming, um, I could relax more and be myself and be honest instead of trying to fake it and push through it. So I actually laugh. If I stutter now, I'll kind of get a chuckle. I'll actually make a light little joke about it. Um, and those are the things that I find if I relax more and roll with it and embrace it, it's not a big obstacle. It's just who Rich is. And Rich is okay with himself. So that inner strength and that inner peace, um, the mind has a lot to do with it, I think. Uh, yes. A lot of us beat ourselves up uh, when instead we should be letting ourselves have more freedom and more grace to stumble and fall and still say we're okay. That's right. And I often say... Uh, when we learn something new, we are not perfect at the beginning. And many people beat themselves up and want to be perfect and talk to themselves like they never would talk to a toddler that's trying to learn to walk. You wouldn't tell yeah. that, that poor toddler, you'll never learn to walk. Better sit down and stay for the rest of your life. <laughs> that's well, how many of us well, talk to themselves. Yes. Well, not only that, uh, and, and I did talk to myself in, in my mm. early childhood that given my stutter and uh, it was uh, I couldn't read out loud in the classroom I would run out of the room crying mm. uh, because of shame and guilt and embarrassment and the kids would tease me so I had to learn to manage that and work through that um, I had a, uh, a teacher when I was a broadcasting school uh, leading college who told me you have a wonderful voice but no one will hire you because you stutter um, and I've made my career as a broadcaster for 25 years and public speaker for 25 years. So he now laughs and says, I was wrong. You were right. Um, and those are the things you do have to learn to overcome. When people do shut you down, you have to defy the odds. You have to decide that you are going to try it and find new ways of doing it. And at the same time, admit, um, I like sports broadcasting. I don't like doing hard news. Hard mm -hmm. news still trips me up. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I get nervous. Sports is fun. <laughs> so when you have fun, you don't stutter. <laughs> exactly. The more fun I have, the more alive I am, uh, yeah. the more animated I am. Yeah. It helps me get out of my stutter. Yeah, that, that, that's really interesting. And I always, uh, I heard a tip. I read it actually in a book, I think, by uh, Mr. Goldberg. Uh, uh, he's a psychiatrist and he said the best advice for a stutterer in a job interview is to tell the people right up front, listen, I have a stuttering problem. So it can happen that when I get uh, nervous that I start stuttering and that's what to do when I do just overlook it. Did you, do you find exactly. that something like that is helpful? 
Oh, very helpful. Mm. You know, like I said uh, just a few minutes ago, uh, it's a lot better to admit it. Uh, if if I do it, I just say, hey, sorry, I got excited, uh, tripped over my tongue. Um, the worst thing for me is introducing myself. Uh-huh. So if you say, hi, my name's Christine, who are you? By following you up, I get more nervous by introducing myself. But if I go first and say, hey, my name's Rich Bontrager, hi, Dr. Christine, I relax. So by me going first, that's been my trick that I've learned that I need ah. to take the initiative yeah. instead of hesitating and getting afraid and anxious and all those things. Yeah, I, I find that many people relax when they know somebody has a disability and he tells them, I know I have it and here's how to deal with it if it happens. That's yeah. what you can do because then the people that listen to you feel relaxed instead of not knowing how to react when you start stuttering, for Most example. People want, yeah, yeah. Most people want you to succeed, I of believe. Of course. So if you tell them, they want you to succeed and they relax with you and have fun with you. Yeah. And it's, it's not an issue anymore. And And when you, for example, when you start stuttering and then everybody expects it to a certain event, they say, ah, there it is. Okay. Yeah, that's it. They all like, and and actually, I had a girlfriend mm-hmm. who was a very big part of that. She was the first one to embrace that mm. very idea that you just said. She teased me about it. Um, if if I tried to ask her out, she would actually tease me in a fun-loving way of, "Well, what do you want? Are you trying to ask me out? Because I won't go out with you if you don't ask me out." And I found a humor in my own stutter and overcoming it because she made it fun. Wow, I love that that idea. That was a nice girlfriend. Now, the, the next question, many people say when somebody stutters, just to stay there, when they sing, they don't stutter. Is that true? Yes. Uh, Mel Tillis is probably the most famous country western singer. He had a horrible stutter. Uh, that's the same with me. I've never stuttered when I sing. Uh, and normally when I'm doing my sports broadcasting, I don't because I get into a flow and a rhythm. Uh, so, yeah, there, there are things that normally you do not do. Um, unless you get really nervous. And singing mm. is one of those fun things. Most people that sing love it. It's a passion thing. Uh, so it helps them overcome their stutter. Interesting. Yeah, it's really it's really fascinating. And I, I love that you overcame that. And obviously, you don't stutter. <laughs> no. no. <laughs> if somebody stuttered, that, that, that will be me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And now I, I, I sometimes stutter because uh, I just don't know what to say, but that happens to everybody. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. No, and but, also going back to the other question, we're mm-hmm. back at the beginning, um, because you asked me about the CMV. Mm-hmm. Um, I have liver disease or had liver disease, mm-hmm. um, and it came out of nowhere. The doctors, there's medical studies that have been done that they believe CMV might go dormant, like in my case, it's never affected me. Um, except for those early childhood things. Yeah. But they believe the gene may become dormant and then active late in life, and that may be part of my liver disease. They don't know for sure, but mm-hmm. that might be what triggered my liver disease. When did the liver disease start, and how did you notice? Five years ago, uh, at my daughter's wedding, some people said I was not looking too well. Uh, I was feeling great. Um, six months later, um, I began to have um, some GI bleeds and some other issues. Um, and my hemoglobin, I went to the hospital mm-hmm. thinking I had the flu. My hemoglobin was down to 3.2. Oops. And uh, they said I should be dead. Um, I was sitting up laughing, having a great time with the doctors, and they invented me for four days to refill my body with blood and mm-hmm. hang the bags and take care of me. 
Um, six months later, uh, with more tests, they finally figured out my liver was already 75% dead. Wow. So I was already living on a liver of 25% alive mm-hmm. and active. Mm-hmm. And it took me another four and a half years before I got the transplant. So I only got worse from that point. Yeah, yeah. So that is that is a very interesting story. And I would love to hear how you got your liver and what you learned for it. And, and it, it is so fascinating generally to talk about transplants and how beneficial it can be for other people to get a transplant. And I really think in the second half of the show, the first half is nearly over, we should talk a little bit about that aspect, how other people can help people like you live a full life in spite of some weird thing that happened and it's not that people just drink and 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 make themselves uh, sick there's people that have no fault in it in a way and need a liver transplant and somebody really can help them so that exactly this brings us to the end of the first half of today's broadcast here 97.5 cioefm and please tune in After the commercial break, for more about Rich Bontrager's life, how he triumphed over all adversity in the second half of the show. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to Healthy Alternatives here on 97.5 CIOE FM or on the web at communityradio.ca. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Sauer, and today I am talking with Mr. Rich Bontrager, a very interesting person that overcame stuttering and uh, CMV, which is cytomegalic virus, uh, as, uh, that he was born with and that caused some problems and uh, eventually led him to have a liver transplant. That's where we were just talking about. So tell us a little bit, you discovered that your liver wasn't functioning well, and how did it go until you needed a transplant, and how was it that you got it, and where did you get it from? Certainly. Uh, it, it started out very easily. Uh, after they diagnosed us the, the very first day, my wife and daughter and I went home, and we emptied out the cupboards of all the high salt content. So I went from a normal diet to uh, 1,200 milligrams per day, and mm-hmm. that was immediate. Uh, they said if I don't change my salt content, it would continue to uh, erode my liver quicker. So to slow down the uh, dying liver, uh, that was the first step we had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, then I changed other dietary things as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so about the first year and a half, I was doing what I thought was normal still everyday life. Um, everything was fine. Uh, then uh, about year two, I could feel my energy begin to slow down a little bit. Um, some of the side effects of liver disease can be that you forget things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you lose your balance. Um, you get the jaundice color eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I never lost memory. I never lost cognitive ability. Um, all the way through, even to the very end, I was still driving my own car, uh, wow. which is somewhat rare, they say. Um, and I, I was still working a job until six months before transplant. 
So really, with a very slow crawl to the end, um, also uh, pain is usually a very common thing with liver disease. Um, I have an extremely high pain threshold, so my body never told me I was sick to begin with, and mm. even as I was getting sicker and approaching death, I never had any pain whatsoever, which is very, very rare. Right. Did you did you experience the fatigue that often comes with the ammonia accumulating and the bilirubin in the brain? Uh, yeah. The uh, the energy level, as I described, it was dropping uh, mm. at year three and a half, year four. Um, then is where it began to drop off, and I. Uh, When I moved to Georgia to live with my brother, he became my caregiver uh, to prepare for this. And mm -hmm. I went to the Mayo Clinic um, down in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, when I moved down to Georgia, I was walking the beach about five miles a day to stay in shape. That's that's very important to keep your body as healthy as possible before transplant. Uh, and then it went from five miles to three miles to two miles. And then finally, the last six months before transplant, I could only walk a quarter of a mile there's a pond in front of our house and I can mm. only walk around that probably once or twice a day because the energy so I was watching Netflix staying in bed working on the computer but my life very much uh, collapsed into a very limited existence for the last six months mm. that must have been very frustrating time yeah very frustrating because I'm a go-getter um, I, I don't like being still uh, being active has always been my way of life so um mm. I had to find new creative ways to keep myself mentally challenged and excited and every day get up and get going. That's the biggest hurdle, I think, with any major medical condition yeah. is it's a mental game of how can you motivate yourself every day. That's a very good thing to, to, to know. That is very true. How can you motivate your every day to go on, even if it's hard? And you did that beautifully. So how... Uh, did you end up getting your liver? Was your, were you on the liver transplant list, and how long did it take? Um, it only took a month. It was one of those very quick surprises. Um, actually, I had gone in for a checkup on a Friday, and uh, they said I was doing as well as could be expected, uh, actually pretty lousy at that point, <laughs> but I was doing well enough that they sent me home, and I came home, and... Uh, Seven hours later, the telephone rang, and they said, uh, we have a possible liver for you. Can you be here by midnight? Uh, we drove the hour drive to Jacksonville, and they put me on the table at 8 o'clock Saturday morning and implanted the uh, new liver from someone that had been in an auto accident uh, that Friday night. Wow. Um, so the greatest gift of life, literally, um, I had to, for me to live, someone had to die. Uh, and there's a lot of preparation mentally, emotionally, uh, psychology plays big into this, uh, preparing to receive this gift and wrapping your head around the idea of death to life. Um, and I was walking out of bed 24 hours later. Wow, that is amazing. So how did you deal with that, that you basically have the part of somebody is living on in you that died? Um, they do psych evaluations, but again, because mm -hmm. of my faith, uh, that played part of it. Um, I'm also a positive, positive person, and I love people, and I believe uh, by being a donor, by putting that little line, mm -hmm. throwing that line out to be a donor, and I was a donor up until that point myself, but now receiving the donor, I really um, have a greater appreciation for it. Uh, when I went to a Celebration of Life event um, five months later, And uh, hearing all these amazing donor, uh, donor stories and 
people that had received stories, it really elevated the fact that this is a great, great gift. And and I think we can't talk enough about how those gifts can really change a person's life and give a person, even a young person like you were, uh, the gift of, of, of a good life for a long time. And yes. I, I want to encourage everybody that listens to it. If you haven't filled out that donor card or made that X on your driver's license or whatever it is in your state or province, do it because you're dead. It's for sure. So why not do something good in death? I'm a donor myself and I, I was a donor since I was young. Fortunately, I didn't have an accident, but I know if I ever have an accident, at least they can use, now that I'm older, they probably won't use the heart, but maybe something they can use and be at the corneas and the skin or dura or bone fragments, whatever, and help somebody else with it. Well, I actually found out after the transplant, uh, your family and friends and even mm -hmm. doctors, um, I was extremely close from passing. I was getting down to the very end. The jaundice was beginning to come. The energy mm -hmm. level was pretty well gone. Um, and if someone had not had that donor card filled out, I probably would have passed very, very soon. I had family members telling me uh, they were absorbing me every night going to bed thinking, could this be the night? Uh, yeah. They didn't tell me that beforehand. They told mm -hmm. me that afterwards. Uh, but they were really getting worried about every morning, every day. So mm -hmm. that gift of life is a very, very powerful gift. And I would not be here today if it was not for that sacrifice. And uh, right now I have a request in to hopefully meet the donor family to let mm -hmm. them know that I'm alive, I'm well, and I have a great life. And thank you for that amazing gift. Oh, that is, that is a wonderful story. And I heard other stories. I have a friend who got a kidney transplant uh, not long ago, and she is doing so much better. It is truly the gift of life. And if nothing else comes out of this show, but one person fills out the donor card, I think that would be great. Yes. Oh, yeah. Please do it. And know that... Uh some, some people do have disabilities on the backside of transplant. It is not an easy recovery, uh, but many of us do bounce back, and I'm 110% back to being hmm. normal old self. It's a real blessing, and it's an amazing second chance on life. Yeah, and I, I really feel that is that is so important that we tell that, and it doesn't do the donor any disservice. On the contrary, I feel it honors them even more in their death. It elevates them. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. And that's actually part of my story going forward. I do want to honor them. I do want to have a life worthy of this amazing gift. Uh, so that is clearly a part of my entire message and uh, part of defying the odds as I talk to people about that, uh, that it is hard work. Uh, you do have to follow the doctor's orders. You do have to do things you would not normally want to do, but uh, it's well worth it when you stand up and you can walk and drive and go back to work and love your family because of the amazing hard work you had to do and the amazing sacrifice of someone else. Wow, I love that what you just said, that you try to live a life to honor that gift that you received from somebody that had to give their life through a, an unfortunate accident. And I, I think that is just, 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 just that is an amazing thing that you said and that you do. And, uh, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to hearing you in your TED talks and 
in your other speaking career and I think you're an inspiring person, Rich, and I want to thank you very much for being on that podcast. It was truly touching for me and I wish you all the best. Thank you, Dr. Christine. It was a pleasure to be on. Really appreciate the time. No, I thank you very much. And uh, this brings me to the end of today's show. Please don't hesitate to contact me with any questions, thoughts, comments, or suggestions, or if you'd like to contact Rich. My email here is christine at communityradio.ca or contact me through my website, docchristine.com. I'm always grateful for any feedback, and if just one person fills out their donor card, crosses off that box so somebody else can live that would be wonderful I also want to extend a special thank you to today's producer Jim Francis thank you very much you might not know this but this is a volunteer run non-profit radio station and we even have an art gallery if you're local and you'd like to drop in we are at 11 Glendale Avenue Lower Sackville Nova Scotia Thank you all for listening to Healthy Alternatives. I'm your host, Dr. Christine Sauer. Tune in next Thursday at noon on 97.5 CIOE FM Community Radio, the home of East Coast music, with live stream on communityradio.ca for the next episode. Goodbye and have a great day.